So, Martin, the plot thickens. What kind of plot is this? Last time, last time we recorded, we talked about fidget spinners. Okay. And then, creepily, Amazon recommended me fidget spinners during the podcast. Oh, yes. Before the recorded file was even on the internet for it to data mine or whatever. So, clearly, the robot overlords are listening to us. But, two days ago, I got uh, <laughs> I got an email. They didn't even... Like, address me by name. They say, hi, lovely. And they want me to promote their fidget spinners on my YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. Um, Amazon told people that we're talking about fidget spinners already. I guess. And then someone's just like, ooh, more people talk my fidget spinners. They sent me a lot of uh, a lot of different examples of fidget spinner promotional videos I could do. But I'm not seeing any vape tricks in here. So clearly they haven't found the best one. Yeah. They don't understand what the true geniuses are doing in this hot spot in the market. But I do. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't want to promote fidget spinners on my channel. <laughs> Even though you kind of are, just generically. Somebody on Twitter was like, why not Beyblades instead? And I was like, that is a good, like, a good point. Beyblades are cool. Yeah. I was like a champion Beyblader when I was 12. I would constantly beat my brother because I had the perfect combination of like the super spiky, really like just death outer ring. But I also had like the perfect metal middle ring. So I had a lot of weight as well. Oh, okay. And then I had okay. a good like pointed bottom to my top. Fair. That's a confusing statement. The whole thing is a top. Oh, yeah. Because but there is a top. There's yeah. like the needle thing, but you could get like a, like a rounded one or like a sharper one. I thought the sharper ones were cooler. I mean, kids are going to think sharper things are cooler every time, probably. Yeah. But yeah, champion Beyblader. So predicting it now, Beyblades are going to make a comeback. You should check somehow. your Amazon recommended. Is our Beyblades <laughs> in there now? Good question. You know what, though? Amazon probably is like on to us being on to them. Amazon, sell us some Beyblades. All right, Jeff Bezos, what's on my homepage right now? I've got a bunch of video cameras and microphone parts. Uh, I've got Nintendo Switch cases. No Beyblades. That's good because I would have been very concerned. <laughs> that would have been too too much. I think we like would have had to just stop the podcast right there and ran out of the room. Yeah, that would have been too much. I don't think I would be comfortable because that's like beyond a doubt too coincidental. It's true. And I can't convince myself it's okay. And any smart robot overlords would definitely like sow the seeds of doubt. So yeah. that we just remain on the fringe as crazy conspiracy nuts rather than, you know, the actual, um, what do they call it? It's like Paul Revere, British are coming, harbingers? Is that the word? I don't know. I don't know. Like the first people who call out and, and alert people. But no, we just we just are crazy, which is fine. I'm yeah. fine being crazy. Anyway, so apparently uh, you came up with a topic for this episode. Yep. And, well, somebody uh, was asking about it. What, what's the gist here? Drop out of school? Just don't go anymore? No, no. Sometimes <laughs> just... They were asking about the decision-making process when it comes to changing your major. And okay. obviously it's a big decision. And uh, obviously it's very common because I was looking up some statistics earlier and I was getting anything from 50 to 60 to 75 to even 80% of students change their major at least once. That's crazy to me. And because basically all of them said 
a whole lot, I decided that was the point. So I don't really care the specifics of their tests at this point. The point is you're not alone if you want to change your major or if you have. Apparently, it's very common. Yeah. I was a virus in my uh, my dorm. Oh, yeah, because how many how many people did you get to change majors? I would say about half of my friend group or more changed. Yeah, see, 50% of people change their majors, and it's because of Tom. It is because of me. I am a virus, and I will not stop until the entire world is MIS majors. That's going to cause some problems. Unfortunately, just like in Pandemic, Madagascar is always the tough one, and it's going to be very tough for me to convince lemurs in Madagascar to switch to management information systems and manage networks. Yeah. But the difficulty will not deter me. You're because brave man. you got to work through the difficulty. And that's actually a pretty good tip for changing majors. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so to like give a brief overview here, I want to cover this topic from two different angles. I want to cover it from the I'm in college and I don't like my major. I'm thinking of switching. What do I do? Please help angle. And also I want to cover it from like the I'm in high school and I'm not actually sure what my major should be. Oh, so, so that you haven't really picked one yet. Exactly. So you maybe you know maybe someone's in high school and they're like, well, I want to be able to make a choice that I hopefully don't go back on. What are your tips? Your tips for making sure I choose a major that I'm not so likely to switch away from. Okay. Later on, uh, but I know you you did most of the research for this episode. So if there's other things you want to cover, yeah, I just kind of like see how it goes. brain vomited out a bunch of stuff. I like to just let it let it go where it goes. Yeah. So I think the first thing that I want to talk about is the main, I think like the main issue here, which is that people get into their major because it seems fun. It seems cool. It seems interesting. And then they start doing the work. They realize that it's either not exactly what they thought it was going to be or that it's just harder and it starts to get less fun. And that's when they start thinking of switching because that grass is greener syndrome starts kicking in. I bet you that that major over there would be more fun. I bet you psychology would be more fun. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have to be counting dead fly carcasses like I am here in biology. Uh, psychology would be so much more fun. But you don't, what do they call that? Second order incompetence where you don't know what you don't know. Is that what they call that? That's I think cool, they do. That's yeah. A term. I don't know that term. I like that term. But yeah, it's an unknown unknown. Exactly. It's an unknown unknown. Before, and it, it's like, there's also some, I think it's like a Voltaire quote where it's like the, those who are wise know enough to basically not not come to conclusions or not speak up, and those who aren't are the ones who are most vocal. Yeah, like the more sure you are of stuff, like... The less sure you are. <laughs> yeah. When you get really educated in a topic, you realize how incredibly massive it is beyond yeah. what you think as a beginner. Exactly. So for that reason, I wanted to start with a discussion of a book that neither of us have actually read. Um, and I don't know if you've even heard of it, but I know the general gist of it, which is it's called The Dip. By Seth Godin. Nope, didn't know about that. It's one of my recommended reads for this episode. It's a very short book. Um, I have not read the entire book, but I've read Derek Sivers' notes on his website, Sivers.org, which we can link to in the show notes. Um, and that, you know, it might be, I think with a lot of books, the notes and summaries are sometimes sufficient. Um, Derek has particularly good notes for the books that he makes online notes for. But essentially... The idea behind the dip, I guess there's a couple of ideas. Idea number one is that any endeavor you get into, no matter how cool it seems at first, no matter how much of a dream job it might seem like to you, eventually you're going to hit what he calls the dip, which is 
the point at which beginner's luck runs out, the honeymoon period runs out, and you kind of just slope down into this valley of just a slogging through it, right? It's it's just not fun. It's hard work. Yeah. And it, it's the romantic, you know, rose-tinted goggles have now come off. Yeah. It's the stage in skill development between I'm a beginner and I'm learning so much and everything's easy to learn because I can learn in every direction – and then there's the a more advanced stage where you're like, I know enough now that I can be really independent and I can move forward and it's yeah. easy to know what I'm doing. The middle stage right here, the dip, as apparently it can be so called, where you basically don't know how to improve. You're just working really hard and you're confused and overwhelmed. Yeah. I think the best illustration of the dip comes from like every stereotypical martial arts movie or show where – the kid wants to learn martial arts. They're like, man, this looks so cool. And they see their heroes doing like spinning dragon kicks or whatever, kamehamehas. And so they go find themselves a teacher. And what is the first thing the teacher had them do? Mopping floors. Yeah, some ridiculous scrubbing basic tooth- exercise. Yeah, scrubbing out toilets with toothbrushes or running miles with turtle shells on their back while a T-Rex chases them. And they're like, what the heck does this have to do with kung fu? I want to learn the dragon kicks. What the hell, man? And the sensei is correct in saying you need to learn patience and discipline and focus. And you need to build the foundation first before I can teach you all the fancy little tricks. Because the fancy tricks, they are built upon that foundation. And if you don't have it, then you can't do them at all. Or you won't do them to their fullest potential. So that is the dip. Nobody wants to scrub toilets when they're supposed to be learning dragon kicks. But they have to because they have to build that initial base of skills that isn't glamorous. People aren't cheering for you when you do but you have to do them. Yeah, you don't look really cool doing the middle get, the middle stuff. Yeah. I mean, in, in any job, you're going to run into this. When I was uh, in my first internship for MIS, I guess my only internship, the first thing they had me do was sit in my cubicle and read through like a 90-page network diagnostics manual that just like I had to go through and read about all the possible ways the network could break. And I was sitting there like, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever done. Um... I'm going to go be something else now. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I muscled through. Now, we'll come back to this because I eventually decided that MIS wasn't for me. And that internship was a very big reason as to why I did that. But I did understand, even back then, that the initial stages of that internship were going to be dip territory. Just starting out. I'm past the honeymoon phase because I've already been through a few classes. I got to pay my dues and build some skills, build some trust and put in the work before I'm able to graduate to things that are maybe a little bit more glamorous or a little bit more interesting or I have more autonomy. Yeah. So So, in that case, your problem isn't really with the major itself, Mm -hmm. but it might just be with the hard part. And the hard part exists in all of those majors. So you could end up switching majors and then have the same stage happen again. And then you could switch majors again. And then you're going to find yourself wasting a whole bunch of money and time. Yeah, exactly. That's another thing he talks about in the dip. Um, A lot of people, when they get frustrated, their initial reaction is to diversify. Um, So if you're a college student, maybe you're thinking, well, I'll change my major or maybe I'll add a double major and find some cool little niche, which uh, we'll come back to this, but I don't recommend double majoring. I'm not a fan of double majoring at all. Um, And in like business, a lot of businesses will be like, well, we can't be the best at X, so maybe we'll do X and then tack on Y and Z. So and I may- think about this we'll a lot. Be kind of all right at a whole bunch of things instead because that's easier. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and sometimes I worry that like I'm susceptible to that temptation. 
because sometimes I'm like, well, what if we did this, 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 and this yeah. rather than, it's very you know, tempting. yeah, it's, it's very tempting. Cause I look at a lot of different people in a lot of different fields and it's enticing to go in all those directions. But I know that I cannot go in all those directions because the people who are the shining paragons of success in any of those fields are the ones who didn't diversify very much. They're the ones who knuckled down, worked through the dip and became the best. Yeah. And that that's a, like the the dip that book uses that word a lot, becoming the best at something, the best in the world at your certain skill or uh endeavor. Um but he also says that if, you know eventually quitting is a is a strategic move. It's not necessarily failure. If you realize that what you're doing is not aligned with your goals or it's not what you thought it was going to be, there comes a point where Quitting isn't so much a an example of you just rejecting the work in the dip that's necessary to get to the good point. It is a strategic decision to pivot yourself into something that's more aligned with what um, you actually care about or with what you're meant to do. The challenge comes in figuring out, like, which is which? How do I know? And that's very tough. So a couple of things I think you can think about to figure out whether or not you're just wanting to switch out of frustration with the dip or if it's an actual legitimate reason to switch. Uh, number one, how much work have you put in so far and how much of it has been hands-on? A lot of students switch because they don't like their classes and this can be a reason to switch, but if you've had no experience in the working world at all, how do you know what working in that major is really like? Because your classwork is often not a representation of what the real work's gonna be like. Yeah, it could just be frustration with the academic environment where you've got mm -hmm. homework and essays and assignments and group projects. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but my my jobs in IT were quite different than anything I did in class. My like, jobs taught me a billion times more than I ever learned in any class other than my <laughs> language classes because that's not related. Yeah, that's very but true. hands-on experience is what gave me like all the knowledge I have about anything tech-related. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, you went through a networking degree, right? So yeah. maybe your classwork was a little more aligned with what you were actually doing. Well, and since it was a community college, we didn't have like, you know, two years of basically gen ed requirements. Mm -hmm. It was it was directly hands-on doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, for me, though, really the classwork didn't really align with what I did in my internship. I mean, I did have a networking class, but in that networking class, we never actually touched a network. We never plugged in an Ethernet cable. We never went in to configure router settings. We, it was all theory. It was all, here's what a star configuration looks like versus a bus configuration. Um, here's what DHCP means. It was all just sitting down and learning information and then writing it down on tests. And we never did anything hands-on. Whereas in my internship, I was actually going into firewalls, changing settings. I occasionally went into a server room and watched them do an upgrade or swap a server out. Uh, and my other jobs, I was literally doing hands-on work with computers, removing viruses, fixing internet problems, all that kind of stuff. So it was very different, which is why I try to tell people, get hands-on experience as soon as you possibly can. That can be in the form of a part-time job on campus that's well-aligned with your major. It could be a research opportunity with a professor if you're in a more like hard academic major, like you know biology or math or something like that. Um, or it could just be a side project that uses the skills you're learning in your major. Yeah. Because if you don't get that experience, it's really hard to tell if it's for you or not. Yeah, and as a bonus, the experience is obviously great for resumes and things later on. Definitely, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, did you have the same experience I had where I think it was MIS 432 that the professor was like, hey, everybody, go around the room, introduce yourself, tell us one cool fact about yourself and how much IT experience you have. Yeah, that, that happened to me. I think it was in uh, the networking class that I took where that happened, and it was just like a room full of juniors and seniors mm-hmm. in an, uh, ostensibly a computer major, a computer business major, who had like no experience in computers. And I, I'm not trying to shame these people, obviously. like Things happen, but yeah. that's not a great amount of experience to have right before the working world. Like, What if mm-hmm. you get into your first job and you're like, I hate this, and I just took out like a billion dollars of loans – and four yeah. years of effort, and now it's way too late to like go back and change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at every step, but especially early on, you want to be doing everything you can to evaluate your investment accurately. A lot of people will evaluate their investments based on hearsay or um, depictions in the media or just what they imagine it'll be like, and they invest all this time and money an effort, and then it turns out to not be what they wanted it to be in the first place. Yeah, well, like movies and TV, if you watch some CSI, you're going to learn some very interesting things <laughs> about how technology works, and you're going to enhance the pixels. You can enhance and, the pixels. Uh, you can zoom in on the reflection in the uh, you, tailgate think, of the truck. Think that's what you'll be doing. Out the murderer's fingerprints. You may be disappointed when you find <laughs> that that is not what you do. Or, I mean, to use the same example, if you're using CSI to um, figure out what, like, majoring in criminal justice is going to be like. Oh, yeah, it's probably not a super awesome dramatic day every day. Yeah, it's not. You don't realize that, like, 90% of the job of being a cop is paperwork or sitting in the median of a highway speed trapping people or, you know, any number of other mundane things. Yeah, or it's hard to figure stuff out when you're not in the breaking the fourth wall watching it all and you're just like, well, now this is confusing. Mm -hmm. So when you do choose your major... um, Look for opportunities for real-world experience and also look for opportunities to do informational interviews with people who are already there. Maybe you can use the alumni directory at your school to get in contact with somebody who graduated from your university and is working at a company that you might want to work at. And then you can just have an email chat with them. Just be, hey, what, what's your day like? Um, I also remember that there was an organization in the business college that would organize trips to companies in the area and you could spend the whole day just like shadowing people getting tours, seeing what people did. So as an MIS major, I went with a group up to Minnesota and we toured um, an insurance company. And we got to talk to a guy who was like a VB.net developer and see exactly what he did on a day-to-day basis. And that provided a lot of perspective that I did not have just going to class. Was it a lot different than like what you would have expected? Um, I, I think it was not... As different as I expected, but I'm kind of an outlier because I spent a lot of time on forums on like, you know, enterprise IT websites asking people like, hey, what do you do? Um, I remember when I was a freshman, even early on in college, when I was working at the IT center during my downtime, I would browse Tech Republic and I would just read about trends in business IT and I would read um, like forums where people would just basically get on and complain about their jobs. Oh. So I had gotten kind of a well, little bit help. of experience. I also, because I had a job on campus in IT, I had gotten some experience. But that trip served to broaden my perspectives and see like another application of that major because I was not a developer. Um, yeah. I had done some web development, but I'd never done like actual application development. So getting to see what he was working on was kind of cool. Uh, but also being in that building, I was like, this culture is not for me. 
I don't like it. <laughs> oh, yeah, because <laughs> so you, you don't get a lot of the working culture knowledge until you actually set foot in a company where you're going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The other thing I had written down here, and I don't know if you had this written down as well, is to ask yourself, is there anything else going on in your life yep. that could possibly be causing those feelings of doubt and um, just like dissatisfaction with your current state? that may be causing you to place the blame on your major. And I say this because I have legitimately considered shutting down my business and going to get a job in some other field like countless times. And a lot of times it's because I'm still in the dip and it's like, God, this is so hard and it's so tedious and I hate doing it and blah, blah, you know, and then you got to work through it. But sometimes it's because there's something else going on in my life. Yeah. And maybe it's just something that's a little harder to pinpoint so it's easier to place the blame on the thing that is um, the symptom rather than the cause. Oh, my work is not satisfying me right now or I'm frustrated. And because I'm frustrated in general, I'm frustrated with my work. It's got to be my work's fault. Yeah. Well, maybe it's that I have a problem in my relationship. Or maybe it's because I have anxiety about something with my family. Or maybe I have a health problem that I have been kind of you know um, ignoring. There's all sorts of things that are easy to rationalize away in um, in lieu of just saying, oh, grass is greener over there. What I'm doing right now sucks. I'm going to change it and everything's going to be great. Yeah. And yet those external things might stay the same. Mm-hmm. And if your problem is something even more academic, it may still not be a symptom of the actual major because if you're just having a problem with, say, the college workload, mm-hmm. maybe it's that you're not studying and scheduling homework. And if you did it, it would work better and it has nothing to do with the classes themselves. Or maybe mm-hmm. you don't like a teacher. I actually know somebody who changed majors entirely because they did not like their teacher. And I suppose my note on that is if you really, don't really like somebody, why would you change your life for them? But I actually wrote that down here, but I was like, who actually changes a yeah, major so I based actually on know one somebody. professor? I'm not, not going to name them. Okay, knew, so that. I knew know somebody who did that. And it's just, <laughs> why would you change your life for one person you don't like? Sometimes yeah. when, in, in like the adult world, there are people you don't like, mm-hmm. and it sucks, and you have to deal with them. So dealing with one on your way to something you really like makes more sense. Or even, I suppose, you could retake or drop that class. But like, yeah. you could easily blame that on the entire major, like my friend did. Mm-hmm. And there are just... So many things that might be the root of the problem that aren't going to change. And you're going to change your major. You're going to get behind. Maybe you'll need to take out more loans. Maybe it'll take you another semester to find out, wait, I actually liked the first one better. So it's good to ask yourself what's actually wrong. Mm -hmm. And how did you pick your your current major in the first place? How did you pick the first major? Was it it your family forcing you to? That might be Mm -hmm. a sign that you like something better. Is it external benefits like you just want to make money? Do you actually like the day-to-day work and challenges of that? Because that's a sign you should tough it out. Or is it some movie image of the kind of person that you think does it? Yeah. And those last three criteria you mentioned all relate to a story that I'm sure both of us had written down. Oh, yeah. Uh, One of our best friends started off majoring in computer engineering. And uh, just to give you some backstory, Martin, you came to Iowa State like 2011, I think it was. Yes. It was two years into my college career. So I, I kind of knew you before then, but you were obviously like two hours away. But I lived in a computer engineering learning community. And for those of you that don't know what that is, basically, at least at Iowa State, that means you actually live in a dorm where everyone is kind of in the same major. Except I wasn't in the same major. 
the reason that I was in that community is because my roommate had declared computer engineering and we had written down that we wanted a room together, but I was a business major. So I'm like the one business guy in this whole hallway full of computer engineer and nerds, which is perfect because even though I declared business, I was still a nerd that liked to build computers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but so our best friend, he was in computer engineering, was not doing well in it. But number one, his parents were really adamant that he did it. And they didn't really have good reasons for being adamant that he did it. They just kind of, I think they also had this conception in their head that wasn't very accurate. Like, oh, computer engineering is the best major and no other major could possibly be any better. Um, so he had pressure from his parents, but he would always, he would always just like resist any, any like consideration of changing his major. And we would constantly bring it up because he wasn't doing well. He would fail a semester and I'm just like, dude, like this is not for you. So one time, like I've, I eventually sat down and talked to him and I said, I have a question for you. Do you actually like tinkering with computer hardware? Do you actually care about voltages and, you know, bus speeds and all that kind of stuff on the motherboard? Uh, and, you know, I don't know what else, overclocking, all sorts of computer hardware stuff. Or do you have this image in your mind of how cool it would be to be this awesome computer hacker engineer guy? Like, do you basically want to be Tank from the Matrix or one of those anime characters that can just like type it a zillion miles per minute and then zoom in on the killer's IP with a visual basic yeah. GUI? Yeah, like Hacker Man. Like Hacker Man. Yeah. Do you want to hack people back in time? And he's he just like puts his head down and begrudgingly says, I think it's the second one. So there was the final like admittance. Okay, you don't actually care about the work so much. It's the image in your head, which is partially, I think in his case, mostly defined by media. Yeah. That's not a good way to choose the work you're going to be doing eight hours a day, 40 hours a week for a very long time. Yeah, it's the work you experience. You're not like viewing yourself from a third person going, look how cool I am. Yeah. Now, in this case, the story has a happy ending because, uh, and this is another tip that we were leading into, um, ask yourself, like, how much is this going to set me back and how much more resources will it take for me to switch? Like how much more money, how much more time? Now, notice we're not talking about how much you've already invested so much because we do want to avoid um, the sunk cost fallacy here. Yeah. Where you think about the the effort you've already invested and you use that to make your decision or influence your decision. And you have to realize that those costs are sunk costs. They are costs that you cannot recover so yes, they factor a little bit into, okay, yeah, I, I could continue down one path more easily than another one, but the costs that are sunk that you can't recover, they don't factor into what you want to do. Yeah. So you should only be considering like, what's the best for you going forward Yeah. and what those, those previous loans or whatever allowed you to do is part of that. Your ability to pay off those loans in the future is a yeah. part of that, but the loans themselves are not. Right. So, I mean, you do have to consider what the, like what the costs in the past, like what their future ramifications will be. Like in the case that, okay, you went into, um, be an anesthesiologist and you've already put in 10 years of work and you have $250,000 in loans. And all of a sudden you hate your rotations and you're like, man, I want to be a painter. Well, yes, that $250,000 of invested loans and all the time you spent as a sunk cost, but you have to pay back those loans as well. So think, yeah, is the there cost a future is cost that is attached to my sunk cost? So when we're talking about sunk costs, we're talking about costs that are dead, buried, unrecoverable, and won't come back to bite you in the future. So the time that has been invested. Don't think so much about that. Think about 
what matters to me? Um, am I making an accurate assessment? And do I have the resources or what is it going to cost me to switch? So is it going to be an extra $50,000 in loans? Is it going to be an extra 10 years in school? Whatever it may be. So in the case of our friend, um, we ran what's called a degree audit. And I, I think most universities have this. It may be under a different name, but you can basically go into the, the user profile you have on the university's website and see how far you are in your major. It'll show you exactly how many credits you need to graduate, how many you've already done, and it'll show you which required classes you've already done and what you still need to do. So we run the degree audit for computer engineering and he's you know so far under the major. And then I'm like, all right, let's now run what's called a what if degree audit where you can run a different major and basically like see what your current progress would do in a different major. So we run it for MIS, which is my major. And turns out he's further into my major than his own major already yeah. without having any extra invested effort. So to switch over actually put him further into college. Yeah, he his, didn't have to play catch up at all. were amazing. Yeah. So he, sw- yeah, he switched and I was about to say swatched. That's not a word. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's like one he of the best, swatch, watch. best case major switching scenarios you could ask for really is yeah. that it turns out it's cheaper. Now, this story has a point because he realized, okay, I don't actually want to be a computer engineer. I don't want to be building circuit boards or whatever computer engineers do. Uh, And then he kind of realized that I don't really care that much what I'm doing in my work. I just want to, I want to have a good job that will allow me to pursue my hobbies. And that was his value. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's not how I really view my life. But for him, that's what worked. And MIS was a perfect fit because it was not such a leap that it put him back to square one. It was a pivot because he had already built up skills and experience in one area and MIS was over here and uh, it required a lot of the same skills and experience. And in his case, he was actually further into that new area. Yeah. So he pivoted into something. Exactly. So depending on how far you are, when you're running that analysis on what are the costs uh, of switching to something else. Yes, the interest in the new subject is going to play a part, but you should also ask yourself, like, how far of a pivot is this? Uh, And this is where my second reading recommendation for the episode comes in. The book, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. I think every student should read this. But he talks about this idea of the adjacent possible. Now, in science, the adjacent possible is essentially the level of technological or scientific development that is just beyond our current level. Um, and this, this makes sense. If you, you can think of like all of our scientific and technological knowledge as like this big bubble and you're kind of just like reaching just outside the bubble because most scientific breakthroughs aren't just complete crazy strokes of genius that one person has that like leaps us forward a hundred years. It's more like we're here and maybe we have like light bulbs, but they suck. And then somebody figures out a way to make the filaments not burn out so fast, like a teeny tiny little pivot. Oh, bam. Or we have this crazy, awesome telegraph infrastructure all over the world. People are just tip tapping away with Morse code. And wow, what if we could actually talk to each other with voices instead of Morse code? Well, it turns out you just need a few more wires, each representing a different tone, and then you can represent voice pretty well. So Alexander Graham Bell didn't magically create some crazy new 
alien technology when he created the phone. It was just a kind of a mod yeah. of he telegraph technology. It. it was like a remix. Yeah, just a little bit better. So the way he applies this idea to pivoting in your career is to find something that you can apply at least some of your current skills and relationships and experience to. Um, otherwise, it's really tough. He gives an example like of what not to do where there's like this this lady, I think she's like an account manager uh, or accountant or something at a big corporation. And she's like, I want to start a yoga studio and does it and promptly fails because no, no experience, no relationships, no nothing. But our friend's case is like the opposite. Computer engineering, MIS, not so different. Yes, I've got some new things to learn, but I have a lot, I have a big foundation that I can rely upon to kind of boost me into this new area. Yeah. And that's what I've always looked to do with my work as well. This podcast was an extension of my blog. And yes, talking into a microphone is different than writing, but they are very similar in that I'm communicating advice for students and I was using my pre-existing audience to launch it. So those were big benefits. Yeah. And the same with the YouTube videos. Oh, wow, I already have all this experience talking into a microphone for a podcast. So now I just need to do it in front of a camera. That's not so different. There are definitely new skills to learn, but I'm not starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, it reduces the cost a lot in the future. Mm -hmm. And one of the important things about that story, actually, that I think is worth worth mentioning again, is that when our friend was like, I really don't care what I do for my job as long as I can do it and it lets me do what I love in my free time. Because the internet's really, really, really popularized the only, only do your passion. If you're not working yeah. your passion, you suck. You're the worst failure in the world. If you're a really good plumber and you love painting, but you didn't quit plumbing to be a professional painter, you're an idiot. Like, that's just not true. You can absolutely mm -hmm. have a job that you're good at, that serves society in some way, and, and pays the bills, and pays for your free time and your hobbies, and then you can do your passion on the side. Yeah. So I guess another question, if you want to change your major, is what is the thing you're considering next or that you're currently in? Mm -hmm. Is that a passion that you could do on the side? I came to school majoring in French and changed before I ever set foot in a classroom to MIS because I was like, actually, I already have a networking degree. MIS was, is going to work wonderfully with that degree. I can do it. I like the work enough. And it will help me pay off these loans that I am taking and – I can still take French classes and study French. I can still, like, the paper that says I studied French doesn't mean anything to me. Mm -hmm. Studying French does. So I didn't need to major in that. Yeah. And, I mean, I would I would say it's probably accurate to assume that what you're doing now is not your passion. Like, I know that you enjoy doing this podcast and oh, yeah, I like you enjoy it, doing it's, the it's work like, with CIG, but it's not you're not really doing foreign language work. I didn't dream of, of, like, being on a podcast. Yeah. I just like it. And mm -hmm. I think it's helpful and it works. And that's that's it. I, you, do, you can like your job and you could even love your job, but it can still not be your passion, the thing that drives you every morning when you wake up. And you know what? I'll tell you guys a secret. It's okay to not have a passion. What? Uh, Surely they're empty inside. What are you saying? I don't have one. <laughs> so you're empty inside. Yeah, I don't. Thomas Frank, hollow man. I like that. My friends constantly make fun of me through, for going through phases. But I think that is just the kind of person I am. I get really interested in something for a while, and I go really hardcore on it. And then a lot of times, I'll drop it and move to something else. That's just 
the way I am. You just like exploring stuff. You don't yeah. have that single, what what is your passion? Oh, here's one word that can describe it. Yeah. It's for, real easy. For a while, it was cars, and then it was skateboarding. And, like, right now I'm really into playing guitar. And, and I'm taking, did a lot uh, of ice skating. I did a lot of ice skating. Um, you know, and I, I kind of want to get back into that at some point, but it's not a passion for me. And I'm taking a game development course. Like, there's a lot of things that I'm really interested in doing. Um, and even with even with work, like sometimes I'm really, really excited to make videos. Other times I'm really excited to make podcasts. And sometimes I'm like, I'm going to get a video out. But honestly, right now, my excitement is in like working on this product that we're going to build or just optimizing business workflows. And like this makes me sound like a huge nerd, but sometimes I really, really enjoy sitting down and just doing financial planning. Sometimes like opening my fun. spreadsheets and I'm just like, yeah, I really want like I coded this this crazy Excel spreadsheet that maps out like predictions for all my business profits and expenses and ties it into individual profits and expenses. And I can do like modeling for um, for my investing and for taxes and everything. And I went through and I coded in the tax tables from the federal government and the state taxes. And it's like it's the most boring sounding thing ever to most people. But I had so much fun building it because it's like super logical. And sometimes like coding like that. I love doing that. Yeah. And I like, I honestly like web development sometimes, but I'd realized that I can't just jump back and forth between every single little aspect of the business just because I have an interest in it. Because if I want to make progress, I do have to eventually delegate some of that. So that's why you take care of the web development now. And yeah. Anna takes care of a lot of the graphic design now because I have to make myself focus on certain aspects. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those aspects are always my passion. It just means that those aspects are the most profitable uh, or most logical for me to focus on rather than delegate. Yeah. So um, what else did I have in here? Oh, so the other ones, things I want to talk about is, number one, how do you make your major feel more fulfilling? Because obviously everyone's going to hit that dip and we can give you the trite advice to just push through it and do the work. Um, but th there are some things you can do to make it more fulfilling. And I'm just going to take a couple of tips from this article I found over on Cal Newport's blog. It's called the Roberts method. And this is advice that he got from a professor. I don't remember exactly which university this professor was from. And I didn't find all of his tips helpful, but the first two I found helpful. So the first one was do less. So resist the urge to double major and join a zillion clubs Basically, focus in on your major and find activities that relate to it in some way. Doesn't mean you have to literally do nothing but school. If you want to join guitar club or downhill skateboarding club or something, like do that. But if you find that you are overwhelmed and you have no time to truly invest yourself in the work, then obviously you're working in the shallows all the time. It's going to be frustrating. You're going to be dealing with a lot of stress because you have so many things going on and that can make your uh, major feel unfulfilling and you can feel unhappy because of that. The other thing they said here is, uh, there's a quote here. Last weekend, we were looking at Fulbright Scholar applications at a committee here. The ones that were fascinating were the ones that were deep, not the ones that were broad. Um, so basically it's just saying like, if you, if you go deep on your major and you can show that you have really invested a lot of time and gotten real specific with what you're doing, that can be very, very uh, impressive. And then the other tip was to synergize your courses. And by this, he means look for synergies between classes, like two classes that maybe cover the same topic from different angles. Because once you do that, 
you're studying the same topic, but you kind of get like this feeling of mastery when you understand it from different perspectives. And I think it's easier to uh, remember what you're learning when you are learning it in different contexts as well. Yeah. And with that kind of experience, you can start to apply your own thoughts to it rather than just parrot whatever the teacher said or the book said, Mm -hmm. because you can think about it from another angle and say, oh, that's a really interesting connection that the teacher didn't mention. But now I'm thinking about it. So now I feel smart about it. Yeah, exactly. So did you have any extra advice before we move into the I'm a high schooler section? I guess the... Earlier, we were talking about weed out classes, and I guess that's that's oh, yeah. worth mentioning. If you do really like your major and the beginning stuff is really hard, sometimes they do have courses that are meant to kind of kind of cull the less dedicated. yep, and it's gonna be and it's gonna be difficult. or maybe you just don't like your mildly unrelated feeling prerequisites that happen. Mm-hmm. And if you really think you're gonna love the major stuff and you maybe have experience in the work and you know it, you might just have to push through that and it's gonna be worth it. You can't just abandon your hopes because the first steps are annoying and unrelated. Yeah. And you know what you could do? Look at the course uh, syllabus for your whole college career and look at the later courses and see what they focus on. And then ask yourself, is there anything I can do to start getting some hands-on experience with those topics now? Like right now? Yeah. Yeah. Like in the MIS curriculum, the networking class isn't recommended until you're a senior. But I did networking in my internship after my sophomore year. Yeah. And then I was doing virus removal and all sorts of cool IT stuff during my freshman year. So but on top in of MIS, introductions, you still feel like you're doing something. Yeah. And in MIS, like you don't do anything IT related until you like sophomore year for most people. And then even in that case, you're taking MIS 330. At least that was the, the number for us. Uh, and that class is just all like sitting in a lecture and writing down notes on processors and computer history. Like you don't really get hands-on experience with anything related to MIS, like coding, network design, databases, anything until your junior year. Yeah. So that's two years of doubt because you're just going through these prereq classes, doing nothing related to what you thought you'd be doing, and that can cause a lot of dissatisfaction. Yeah, and you're scared you come to three, year three and you're like, oh, I don't like this, but unfortunately... Yeah. I just, now it's a lot harder to switch and I'm going to have to think more about it rather than switching first semester when most of your gen gen eds might cross over and it's really easy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, I think most college students thinking about switching their majors are very aware of that. They're very aware of the fact that switching later on means sacrificing more, wasting effort, quote unquote, all that stuff. So do whatever you can to get a taste of what those later classes are going to be like and to take it further to get a taste of what the work is going to be like. Do those informational interviews, join clubs, do anything you can. Yeah. Ask people questions. And if there's really nothing else, find somebody who's already taken the class. See if you can just flip through their textbook and say, what kind of topic is this? Oh, that's really cool. This chapter is interesting. Yeah, exactly. That's something. It's more than nothing. Mm-hmm. So if you're a high schooler and you're like, man, I hope that I can just find the perfect major for me and never ever have to switch but how do I do that? I'm so scared that I'm going to pick the wrong one. Uh, I have a few suggestions here. The first one is, again, just embrace that dip mindset and understand that you're going to have that grass is greener syndrome. It's going to happen. It happens to everyone. I remember when I was in my junior year, I was sitting in my, uh, my was it Java, Java development class, and I was like, 
this isn't cool. Maybe I'll switch to construction engineering. And I remember like looking through the course catalog and making this whole plan. And then like two weeks later, I was like, hmm, maybe I'll switch to statistics instead. That sounds interesting. And then I kind of realized like I'm doing the same thing again. It's grass is greener syndrome. And now a good illustration of this happens every time I walk into Barnes and Noble. I'll look at all the sections and everything seems interesting. I'll go to the computer section. And I'm like, ooh, I could learn visual basic. Ooh, I could learn digital photography, all these things. Uh, and then I'll go to the business section. And like, man, I would really love real estate investing. That would be co pretty cool. Or maybe I'll become a day trader. But here's the thing. Everything looks interesting when it's a well-designed book cover. It's not as interesting once you get into the actual text and start having to read for hours on end. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably a good idea if you're thinking about switching or there is any sort of grass is greener kind of thing, maybe list out what are the negative sides of the new thing I'm considering? What are the parts that really are going to suck? And am I okay with them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just embrace the fact that it's difficult. Oh, one more thing I just remembered. I did say that I would touch on this again. With regards to do less, don't double major. It's so tempting. I remember when I was going into MIS, the uh, the advisor was like, hey, you know, a lot of people who double major in accounting and MIS build this really great skill set where they can go into like forensic accounting or, you know, computerized accounting. And I was like, I was really tempted by that. I was like, yeah, man, getting into that niche would make me really hireable. But the problem is when you double major, you're just like piling more and more coursework on yourself, which makes it harder to go deep on one subject and takes time away from your ability to do extracurriculars or to immerse yourself in a side project. Oh, and the other thing that I wanted to say, I almost forgot this, but this is very important. If you're considering switching majors, ask yourself, do I actually need to switch my major to do the thing that I want to do now? Or can I finish out my major, have a college degree, and then pivot into that new career area anyway? Because to be honest, a lot of jobs and a lot of like HR recruiters are just looking for a college degree. Yeah. Not always. Sometimes they want a specific thing. But in a lot of companies, if you have a four-year degree and then you can demonstrate that you do have the skill set to do what they need you to do anyway, then you're going to get in. I think I read a, a statistic somewhere that said like 70% of people working in IT infrastructure don't have IT degrees. And I remember working with people at my internship and they were like, yeah, I actually majored in philosophy, but uh, obviously couldn't find a job in that. And I had some computer skills from a part-time job I had in college. So I got hired here and now I have a full-time job. And in my case, I did my internship and I realized IT ain't for me. And at the same time, my blog was starting to get some traffic and I was really interested in the possibility of maybe taking that full-time. So the thought crept up. Maybe I should switch to journalism or English or digital media or something like that because those would be better aligned with this whole idea of starting a blog. But then I realized that would set me back. It would create more coursework, more homework, more tests for me to study for. And what could I do better with that time? I could write articles or I could reach out to new bloggers and build new relationships. I could work on my site design. I could literally get that education through the course of building the blog. And I mean, I think this business, this podcast you're listening to right now is a testament that it didn't matter that I switched to a more relevant major. 
because yeah, I was able to get the experience. This isn't what MIS prepares you for necessarily. Yeah, no. A lot of parts of this business are related, like the web development, the computer stuff. It's it's a little bit of a pivot. But did we do did we do any web development in MIS? Yeah, the, actually, that's also a pivot. You're right. I learned that on my own time exactly. for the most part. We did some Java, so I know what a compiler is, a and bit I know of programming, some, some yeah. programming. But uh, and, and these days, I don't do any programming. You do it all. Yeah, it's it's kind of similar, but really, the degree is not mm-hmm. what is allowing either of us to do this in the slightest. Yeah, MIS did not have a podcasting course, did not have a video course, <laughs> and honestly, none of the majors at school had those. Yeah, the closest thing is probably Fizzle, which you can get for like thirty bucks a month instead of shout 3, out to 000, Fizzle, three thousand dollars per semester. So, yeah, um, I just wanted to say those things. So, if you're in high school, obviously, dip mindset. Just realize you're gonna have to work through the tough parts. Um, the other thing is, depending on your financial situation, what about going to college undeclared? Now, I don't say this lightly because going to college undeclared often extends the time you're in college and depending on the cost of college can create more loans. But if you are in a financial position to do that and maybe you could accelerate your path once you do figure out what major you want, then you could maybe spend a semester or two taking general classes and then spending time within that college environment doing everything you can to get hands-on experience and try things. That's one option. Um, you could also go to community college first, which is what you did. Yep. You know, you went and you got that whole networking degree. So one great fallback. If yeah. Nothing I could else have already out. gotten a job from that. Mm-hmm. And it's also why I had hands-on experience a, a billion years before any of the other people that I was, I was in class with at Iowa state. Yeah. That's like the dirty little secret of community college versus four-year universities. Like people often think community college is like the lesser of the two, but I think that depends you on your major a hands, lot. Yeah, you get hands-on experience way faster in a community college degree. Well, because every single student job I applied to, I was like way overqualified mm-hmm. because of that, because I actually had hands-on experience. Yeah, I mean the- And it was cheap. I got out of that school with no debt. Mm-hmm. And the focus with community college is usually on career readiness. And the focus on uh, of four universities is usually a combination between career readiness and also a well-rounded liberal arts education. They want you to be a well-rounded member of society that can speak on many different topics, uh, which is a noble goal. It must be said, but is it the right goal for you to pay $4,000 per semester or more for? Yeah. And you you can go from community college to there and save a bunch of money getting your gen aids or something. Absolutely. And I mean, you went, you did community college and then you came to college and you actually spent almost four years at the four-year university as well. But a lot of people go to community college to take care of prerequisites when it's cheaper. And during that time, they can also be exploring work opportunities or doing side projects. And then they transfer those credits and only spend two years at the four-year university where it costs more. They finish out the degree and they've saved a ton of money. Yeah. So that's another option, especially if you're not sure about what you want to do. Uh, You could also possibly take a gap year after high school to work, to explore, to do a side project to get an internship, to travel, all kinds of stuff. Uh, If you really don't know what you want to do at all, then maybe college isn't the business decision to be making right now. A lot of people think of college as a place to discover themselves, but it's an expensive place to discover yourself, and it's not the only place to do it. So ask yourself, to what degree do I know what I want to do, and to what degree do I actually need college for it? Yeah. Maybe you know a lot of what you want to do, but you don't need college. Maybe you really want to be a web developer, 
Yeah, don't need college for that. Maybe you can already do it. <laughs> exactly. I think most places that are hiring web developers are perfectly fine if you prove your skill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Haven't and, heard a lot of a uh, bureaucracy shutting down Silicon Valley. They basically applaud you for dropping out to work on stuff. Yeah, exactly. If you've got a good portfolio, good website, you know, you're good to go. So I think that kind of covers everything I wanted to mention. To recap here, the two recommended books that I talked about in this episode are The Dip by Seth Godin, which is a very uh, short read, and also we can link to Derek Sivers. Actually, you know what? I think Derek Sivers has notes for both my recommended books. Oh, so nice. So we could link to his notes for both of them. The other one was So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Um, that's on my essential reads list, and I think every college student should read that book as well as Deep Work by Cal Newport, both amazing. Um, but we can link to those summary notes if you don't have time to read the whole book. And I think that about does it. You have anything else you wanted to add in before we sign off here? No, no, I think that's about it. Cool. All right. Well, I'm sure the fidget spinner mafia is probably at the door ready to kick this what I'm story is up really and off. cool. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Is it just like a bunch of people in like gangster suits and fedoras like spinning I'm cool fidget the spinners guys from like Hat in Time basically? But with fidget spinners. So oh, like the, like, like the big burly looked at, yeah. the big burly mafia dudes with yeah. the mustaches. Yeah. But they just got fidget spinners. But they're they're wielding them almost like shurikens. It's pretty Th- cool. This is cool or cringy. I don't know which it's, one. It can be both. <laughs> and they're doing vape tricks into the spinners. Yeah. Anyway, guys, collegeinfogeek.com slash resources is a place you can go if you want to find all of our favorite apps, all of our favorite books that we recommend. We've got a uh a dorm essentials list. So if you're going to college soon or you need to figure out what to buy for your new apartment, all that stuff is there. And you can also go to cigpodcast.com slash 163 to get the show notes for this episode where you'll find all those links to those summary notes, um, some of those discussions that we, or some of the articles we talked about in this episode, and also a link to rate and review the show on iTunes. And if you want to support the show, if you want to see it grow, if you want to help more people find it, that is a great way to do it. It helps bump the show up the rankings in iTunes and also lets us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. So definitely do that uh, if you got a few minutes. And thank you if you do. And I think that's all we've got. So thanks for listening, and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.